So let's pray as we open the word today. Lord, we thank you for the time we've already had in your presence. And Lord, we just thank you. You're here in the midst of us. And you want to change our life. And so Lord, we, we surrender to you and we thank you for your word. That when we open it up, Lord, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So Lord, we just yield to you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the seventh chapter of Acts. And, uh, but I want to start talking about something that's one of my favorite subjects, the glory of God. And um, I had an experience, oh, it's, it's been a couple years ago, where um, Faith and I were driving back from performing my sister's funeral in California. And as we're driving across the desert, we were worshiping the Lord. And, and just singing together, and all of a sudden, I, I heard the Lord speak to me. And the Lord began to speak to me about His glory. And He first off starts saying, a greater weight of my glory is coming. And I, I do what I always do if I feel His presence, I just start crying. <laughs> so here I am trying to drive and worship and have this conversation with the Lord. And He said, and I said, yes, Lord. Bring you glory. And then he said, he said, do you know where my glory is found? I said, where, Lord? And he said, it's in my face. Seek my face. And then he reminded me, brought me over, and through a Bible study, he said, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, where was my glory coming from? It was coming from my face. And then he said, and he took me Psalm 27, where it says, seek my face. And then, I, and then he started walking me through because... A weight of glory. Did you know that there are different weights of glory? Did you know that? We're going to find it in this, our first scripture. But he was telling me so many things. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And what's upon you? The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Right? What are we supposed to do with the glory? We're supposed to shine. It said darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but my glory will be risen upon you. Right? So he was just talking to me the whole, for like an hour and a half, about this greater glory that's coming. It's coming to the church. The glory of the latter house, what house? His church will be greater than the glory of the former house. Where is his glory coming? It's coming to his church. Does Jesus still care about his church? Yeah. yeah. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to talk about his glory today and the one thing about his glory is it comes sometimes through affliction everybody say affliction. affliction we don't like to accept this and in all the messages I've ever heard about the glory of God I've never heard someone really talking about afflictions leading to a greater way of glory but let's look in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 the first scripture we're going to have it says this Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Did you ever notice that before? Your afflictions, the afflictions we go through, are meant to work for us a greater weight of glory. There are varying weights of glory. And so that was the part, I, I wanted to put that on a shelf. I like to talk about the glory and the presence of God, but I don't want to talk about afflictions. How about you? 
right, so then, and by the way, the word glory uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it is kabod, and uh, kabod, K-A-B-O-D, and it means weight or heaviness, all right? So the glory of God is a, a weightiness, the heaviness of God. Everybody say, God is heavy. <laughs> All right, so so here we are. We're in we're in the book of Acts, and we're seeing the Lord pour out revival, and we're seeing the Lord pour out His Spirit through the church, through the early church, as they preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ from city to city. And and but you can't talk about revival without talking about afflictions and persecution. All right, so. Tonight we're going to look at the story of Stephen, the first martyr, and, um, and it's a story of glory, but it's a story of affliction, and it's a story of martyrdom. And so, but the other verse, first of all, I wanted to look at is another one that talks about glory, but it's in Romans 8.18, and we might quote it all the time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? Glory. The glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, people in, in countries where there's, a, where there's persecution could tell you about the glory that comes from suffering. Isn't that right? If you were in China and you were to talk to a brother or sister in China who's in an underground church, they would tell you about the glory of God that's revealed through their sufferings. I think this is good for us in America to think about this because we live in a place that's pretty cushy. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of freedom here. What would happen if we lost that freedom? What would happen if we had to go underground with our faith? Wouldn't that be freaky for a lot of Christians who are so used to being just in a place of convenience? Okay, so last week, Bethany shared in Acts 6 we saw St uh, Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin. And Stephen was a man, she was mentioning, I love how she said he's full of a lot. He was full of grace. He was full of power. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the spirit. But there are people who didn't like it, right? And the Sanhedrin decided to call him on the carpet. And, um, and because he was doing miracles, does everybody get happy when you do miracles in Jesus' name? No. No. There's some people who do not like to see the Spirit of God moving. So false witnesses came against him, and they spoke against Stephen, and the witnesses were saying things like, he's speaking against Moses and against the law. And when they did, his face looked like what? Anybody remember what his face shone like? An angel. He's like... He's totally at peace. He's totally secure in who he was. So, so uh, chapter 7, we pick up, and he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and he gives the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Now, I'm not going to read the whole sermon, okay? I hope you guys don't mind, because it is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. But I want to pull out some of the basic thoughts, because he's standing now. You've got to remember, he's not standing before a group of people that are hungry to hear the gospel, right? He's here standing before his accusers who he knows are ready to kill him. 
what would that be like for you? I didn't do it. Honest. You know? <laughs> what would we do? What would we do? And and he's he's they set up people to bring these false accusations. And so as he's speaking, he's boldly teaching them a history lesson. He's walking them through from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, and he gets over to Moses, and he camps out for a while. He's going to talk about Moses because he has a point he wants to make. He's, he's being accused of speaking against Moses, but he didn't speak against Moses. He's being accused of speaking against the law, but he didn't speak against the law. But he knew that this was eventually going to lead to his death. So let's pick up on verse 35 in Acts chapter 7. He says, this is the same Moses they had rejected with, with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. All right. So what did they say to Moses? Did they accept his leadership, the Israelites? No. No. Who made you a ruler and a judge? Who made you our leader? And they were, they were rebellious. Remember, they were complainers. They, they were, you know, many of them were swallowed up by the earth because they were complaining. All right, so we all remember watching the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever watch that movie? Ten times? A hundred times? And uh, he's leading them through the, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. And while he's up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's seeing the glory of God, and his face is just shining. And he's, he's up there, and he's getting the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and he's getting ready to come back. What did he hear when he came back down? They were all partying. They were all worshiping a golden calf that they had made. I thought it was pretty crazy what they said. We just threw this, threw our jewelry, and out came a calf. <laughs> you know, and they, they were just parting their hearts out. But the point he was making, that Stephen's making and bringing this history lesson is that they're just like him. These people he's talking to, they reject, they reject God the way the Israelites rejected God. And yet they had a form of godliness. They had a form of pomp and, and this whole religious front that they were living in. And it says in verse 39, our ancestors refused to obey him. They rejected him and turned back to Egypt. So they rejected and they resisted Moses, and they and these people reject and resist Jesus. And he's letting them know you turn away, you're turning away from the gospel. You're turning away from Jesus. And I'm calling you on it. 
And you, you're, you're persecuting me because of it. Yeah. All right? They realized, you know, I mean, if you think about it, it's really cool. In one place it says that the rock that followed Moses in the wilderness was Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Jesus can be found in that story. Okay. And then we picked up, pick up in verse 51. He says this, you stiff-necked people. All right, he starts getting down. <laughs> your heart and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, you think this, this might have led to what was coming? <laughs> he was bold, wasn't he? He was not afraid to stand up to the, and, and give the truth to these people. Now, do you ever notice that Jesus spoke firmly and uh, to the re those religious leaders, to the Pharisees and the scribes, he, he called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, right? Did Jesus ever call the sinner and publican that kind of a thing? No. No, he was calling the people who were the ones who thought they were righteous, but they were hypocrites. He called them on it. And in the same way, Stephen was doing that. If Stephen was talking to a group of sinners, he would have a whole different tone. And we know we already did. All right, so he's saying, you guys, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things I wanted to think, I was just thinking about the fact that who was the one who persecuted Jesus when Jesus was walking on the earth? Do you remember after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what were the Pharisees like? They wanted to kill him. Did you know that? They, they resisted Jesus because they were resisting the power of the Holy Spirit that was at work in him. All right? Religious. Now, here's the thing about religious. Is, is religion a, a scriptural word? Well, there is pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. It is a biblical word. But what happens is religious people are people who, who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. All right? So when I say religious people, I'm talking about Pharisees. I'm talking about people with that, that mindset, not pure religion. We all need to have a heart for the widows and the orphans. Amen? We need to have that kind of religion in our hearts. So I think it's important to point that out. All right, so you always resist the Holy Spirit. One of the things, and I think it's coming to America more, you guys, and it's a part of the reason I'm sharing this tonight. I believe that this cushy place we've been in in America could very easily change. This, we really don't know what persecution is, do we, in America? We really do not know. If you ever study what's going on in other countries, you ever study what's going on with ISIS in the Middle East with Christians, if you ever study about any place in the world where there is persecution, you would go, wow, we have so much freedom. 
But I believe the Lord wants to prepare an army of people who are not thin-skinned, who are not afraid to stand up for Jesus, even if persecution came. Amen? Amen? That we would be in a place that we would go, you know what? Even if we had to, to do church different, even if we didn't have 501c3 tax exemption, we would still serve Jesus. Amen? Amen? You know, what would happen if that took place? But these people are our heroes that show us real Christianity, real faith in, in God in the midst of persecution. All right, so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they wanted to kill him. There's always the, the religious spirit that works against the anointing. It's always been that way. You guys remember the story of David and Saul? Why did Saul over and over try to kill David? Why was it that the one he said he loved, he was chucking javelins at him? Why? Jealousy. Isn't that strange? Why did they crucify Jesus? Why did the religious people crucify Jesus? What was one of the reasons? Jealousy. Did you know that? Jealousy is the rage of a man, but there's a religious spirit that doesn't like the power of God, that doesn't, and it persecutes it. And it's been that way in the Gospels. You just read story after story where those were the ones persecuting Jesus and crucifying Jesus. You read in the book of Acts. And so Saul, he was going to kill David because he was the anointed one. He was the one, the anointing left Saul, and it came upon David. And it made him jealous. David, uh, Saul has killed his thousands. David his ten thousands. Why? Because God was with him. Right? Here's what it says in John 15. I don't have it on your notes there. I kind of added it. Jesus said this in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Do you think the guys in the book of Acts were glad they heard Jesus say that? Do you think Peter was glad he... He, he heard Jesus say that. He prepared him. The servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, you guys, they will persecute you. And they're not persecuting you because of you. It's because of my name. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so it's like the law of gravity. They hated Jesus, they will hate you. So don't think everybody's going to love to hear your message when you preach the gospel. I guess you guys figured that out, right? So I heard the Lord say, we have cushy Christianity. I go, really? <laughs> cushy Christianity. It's, sometimes we're in when it's convenient. We're out when it's not convenient. And I think the Lord wants us to have a heart on fire, no matter what. Okay, I believe in the, in the days to come, there's going to be lines drawn in the sand, and the Lord's going to be drawing in going to separate sheep from goats. Who's in? Who's out? Who's real? Alright, so let's pick up on verse 54. This is a hero. This is one of our heroes, Stephen. 
Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. I wonder what that looked like. <laughs> you know, they're resisting him. They were, they, they were coming against it. They gnashed at their teeth at him. Verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw, what did he see, you guys? The glory of God. What, is, what, what was the thing that carried him through what he's going to go through right now? It was the glory of God. He looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. We talk about heaven opening, right? I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't that amazing, you guys? Who are the real heroes? Is it the sports figures? Is it the movie stars? Who's the real heroes? There's the real heroes. There's the heroes that lay their life down for Jesus, for the cause of Christ. All right, so how did this happen? Now, I want, I mean, not many in the room here probably will end up as martyrs, right? I remember when I first got saved, I um, was involved with, have you ever heard of Richard Wormbrand? Anybody ever hear of him? Uh, he has a book called Tortured for Christ. Yeah. Uh, and he was, I used to wear, this was in high school. I wore a bracelet with the name of a man who was imprisoned for his faith in Romania. And I remember it, it became a part of my heart because I, I thought of those people. I thought in other places there are people who are being imprisoned for their faith. And it was a good part of my discipleship because I started thinking I need to live in the same way that they live, with that same kind of faith. All right, so I used to think, though, what if I ever had to go through something that was great persecution? And I realized in this story that God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? The, 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 more, the weaker you are, the stronger he is. Isn't that what it teaches? The more, the more hardship you go through, the more grace he pours out into your life. And the more you go through a tough thing, the more, the greater weight of glory is going to be poured out. Was that the fact for, for Stephen? He had so much glory poured out onto his life in the midst of his suffering that he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus, he had a vision of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Alright, so, and I love the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of this whole thing while they're gnashing at him with their teeth, throwing stones. you think that was a slow, torturous death? It probably was, huh? It probably took a lot of stones before killing him. Now, what else do you see in that story as he's dying? Do you see Jesus in there? He says the same thing, Jesus, Lord, I, I yield up my spirit to you, right? He, he gave up the ghost as Jesus 
And then what else did he say? Did he hold it against them, what they were doing? What did Jesus say at the cross? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And, and what did Stephen say? Lord Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. Alright, so, now, did you know that you and I are supposed to think about people that are going through persecution? Hebrews 13.3 says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I have a little prayer group on Thursdays, and the Holy Spirit stirs us every week to pray as a part of our prayers for the persecuted church. Do you guys ever pray for the persecuted church? And sometimes we'll get magazines from Voice of the Martyrs, you know, and we'll find places in the world. Because you don't hear on the news. Anybody ever hear it on the news? We never hear about it, do we? But I want to encourage you and challenge you. Find people, find people that are being persecuted and begin to pray for them. It says here, as though you were sitting in a prison cell. Can you imagine us being in a prison cell right now? And just, you know, that next to us, our friend is going to be beheaded for his faith. Can you imagine praying with that kind of fervency? All right, so we, we've been doing that. And God's been kind of, sometimes he'll focus us on China. Sometimes it's on Pakistan. Sometimes it's on Syria. And there's this one guy that I've been finding on YouTube. Find some really cool things on YouTube. There's a guy, and his name is Andrew White. He's called the Vicar of Baghdad. And this man has, his church was blown up because they served Jesus. And, and there was like 35 people from his church that were killed. And the Holy Spirit told him to stay there. And he stays there and he ministers the gospel. What happened, a bunch of the people left and 500 Muslims came to his church after that, came to Christ. And he began to keep bringing in harvest. This guy inspires me. Sorry. When I see him, there's a picture of him with a bulletproof vest on. And he wears it. And he listens to the Lord before he goes to church every day. Because the Lord might tell him, don't go in today. But this man, one of the sermons he preached on that I heard him preach was from Romans 8. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. He's really, he's, he's just staying there with his family. He's experiencing the glory of God. He was talking about miracles that happened. In the midst of the, the worst persecution, they're seeing miracles, they're seeing salvations by the hundreds, especially Muslims coming to Christ. But I, I just feel this is a mindset that you don't hear about. I don't think we get this. And in the book of Acts, we can't read this book without getting this mindset. While we're pressing in for revival, while we're pressing in for more of the Spirit, this is a reality that I think we need to get a hold of. Okay. One of the things that I believe, though, anybody ever read um, Hebrews 11 about the heroes of faith? Now, one of the things that it says about, about some of these heroes of faith, they didn't receive what they were believing for. Did that sound like they were really full of faith if they didn't receive what they were they were really believing God for. But in God's eyes, even though they didn't receive what they were believing for, he honored their faith, right? But one of the things it says is some people were offered deliverance and they chose not to receive it. They chose to be killed. 
I believe in my heart that, that Stephen had such a, a picture of the glory of God. He had such a revelation of what was in front of him. And he knew the, the glory and the reward that would come to a martyr that he chose to be a martyr. Here's what it says real quick. It's not in your notes there. Um, in Hebrews 11, it gives me this clue. It says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured. This was it. Others were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Think about it. I believe that people, many of the people that are martyred have chosen because they know there's a better resurrection. And I think that's what Stephen did. Stephen knew that there was a great reward. I don't believe you guys, I, I just, I feel like it wasn't like they're like, you know. He knew what was happening. He knew he was going to die for his faith. So as we look at our hero, Stephen, and we contemplate our lives, I want to encourage you, stand up for Jesus, even if it means death. But all along the way, what is it we're really going after? A greater weight of glory. Keep your eyes on the glory of God. And the last thing I want to mention, there's, there's various things being prophesied about the end times. You have the revivalists here that are talking about this sweeping revival and that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do you believe that's going to happen? Yeah. But there's also those saying there's going to be catastrophes and darkness covering the earth and there's going to be horrible things and there's a lot of different things about that. Could they both happen at the same time? Yeah. They could, couldn't they? And what's, what should we keep our eyes on? The kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing in the midst of it? And so I want to say, if things get tough, you guys, and you go, oh, well, those who were saying revival's coming, they were all wrong. You go, nope, we're right where we're supposed to be. It all happens, when you study revivals past, almost every one of them were in the face of persecution, where while darkness was coming, the glory of God came, miraculous came, great harvest of souls, thousands of souls coming to Christ. You know, whatever your belief is on the end times, and whatever your belief is about the coming of Jesus, what is it we need to be doing before Jesus comes? The gospel of this kingdom must be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Amen? Amen. What do we need to do? We need to get the gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, before it comes back. It's not our occupying. So, anyway... Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the example of Stephen. And we thank you, Lord, for your glory. Your greater weight of glory. We reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with your glory, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your glory. We pray you prepare us as an army, Lord, who endure hardships as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Help us to lay aside cushy Christianity. And, that, and Lord, help us to have hearts that are set on fire for you. Lord, you taught us that if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. Lord, if there's anyone here today that maybe they haven't surrendered their life to you, Lord, we pray that you would just help them to surrender completely. We ask it in your name, Jesus. And right now, while, while we're praying, could you lay your hand or take the hand of the person next to you? And we just want to pray a blessing. We just know this is a body and a body ministry. And as we close, I just, I just want to pray for, for each of the needs. Lord, as we pray for the person next to us, Lord, we just, we just pray for a blessing on them. Lord, whatever struggle they're going through, Lord, whatever trial they're going through, Jesus, we pray for an increase of your glory in their life. Lord, we pray for a greater wave of your glory to be released upon them. If they're sick in their body, Lord, Lord, if there's a pain in their back, in their neck, and anywhere, we just pray your healing touch. Lord, Holy Spirit, we know you're still in the business of doing that. And Lord, we just, we pray for our nation right now together as a family. As we, as we approach this election, Lord, we see that the darkness in our nation has increased, but we pray that you'd have mercy upon America. We pray for harvest and a revival in America. We pray for our elections, Lord, that you would raise up for us godly leaders, Lord, somehow, even if you need to change the ones we're voting for. Lord, we're just asking you, Lord, Lord, to heal our land. Lord, we pray, Father, you'd make us all a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We ask it in Jesus' name.